0: Welcome, you're listening to Season 2 of But Seriously, What is Engineering? A podcast series from the University of Queensland where we explore all corners of engineering. We'll be covering a range of specialisations and exciting engineering careers through our special guests, with an aim to open your eyes to just one more part of the wide world of engineering by the time this episode is finished. Spoiler alert, it's not just about bridges and buildings. This episode is hosted by two of the University of Queensland Women in Engineering student leaders. Hi, my name is Amy Tran and I'm studying Civil and Environmental Engineering. I'm currently in my final year and my final semester here.
1: Hi, my name Eva Seat and I'm in my second year of Chemical and Biomedical Engineering. Professor Kate O'Brien will be joining us as our guest for today's podcast. So Kate is the Director of Teaching and Learning for the School of Chemical Engineering at the University of Queensland. She studied maths and engineering at UQ, then worked in an aluminum smelter in New Zealand before completing a PhD in environmental engineering at the University of Western Australia, before returning to UQ as a lecturer in chemical and environmental engineering. She was one of the first women ever promoted to professor in the UQ School of Chemical Engineering. Kate uses mathematical modeling and systems analysis to investigate how socio-ecological systems work and how they can be managed more sustainably. Today we're going to be diving into the topic of sustainability. Welcome to the podcast, Kate. Thanks, Amy. Thanks, Eva. So our first question for you today is what steered you in the direction to study engineering in the first place?
2: Well, I didn't actually do engineering to start with. I started out doing maths and physics because I just loved maths. And actually, when I came to university, everyone said, what are you trying to swap up to? Because they couldn't imagine that you'd actually want to do maths if you own accord. a court. It was just a route to anything else, but I could have done anything. But I chose maths because I loved it. But I had a scholarship at university from Kamalko, you know, who's now been rolled into what's now Rio Tinto. And they ran a number of aluminium smelters around Australia and New Zealand. And so I got some work experience with them over the summer in Bell Bay in Tasmania. Mm. And the idea of the scholarship was to take uh, women from around Australia who were interested in maths and science and engineering and put them through, uh, support them through university with the idea of sort of capturing this market. And the idea was that they would take these university students and put them to work as operators, actually in the plants. So down on, down on the floor with the blokes. And in fact, when we went down there, they didn't even have any female toilets. They had to build female oh, wow. toilets for us to go down there. So down there, we were down on night shift, you know, doing this manual labor in the aluminum smelter with all these blokes and there were two girls on, two of us on each of the two different shifts. And I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun the diversity of people that you are working with, I like working with a mix of people, and there's sort of a physical component to the job, which I really enjoyed. And I thought, wow, I, I really enjoy this, I think I want to do engineering. And I, um, I spoke to uh, uh, one of the engineers down there and he said, you should keep doing your maths degree, that's really important. And So I finished my maths degree while I, I picked up engineering as well. I chose to study engineering because I really enjoyed that type of work that it was.
0: Yeah, just to branch on from um, your experience, it's so interesting to see there's so diverse um, career paths, especially in operations. There's not many females that I've noticed that would want to get an operational role. Like, were there challenges surrounding that when you were going through that?
2: Actually, no, I didn't. And I had, you know, quite a bit of experience working in operations over my summers just as a student in Tasmania, uh, at the Bell Bay Smelter, at Boyne Smelters near Gladstone, and in New Zealand, aluminium Smelters near Invercargill in New Zealand and actually I um, really enjoyed working with the, the different groups of people that I met there and uh, it's been a while since I've worked in that environment but actually there are a lot of women working in those environments and enjoying it and doing really well.
0: There was one key thing that you have quoted and I think this really interesting for me from an environmental perspective. So you've quoted saying, sustainability is a wicked problem, characterized by high uncertainty divergent values and complex interactions within and between social, economical and ecological systems. Could you like ex- elaborate and explain a little bit what you mean by that and what implications it is for engineering?
2: Yeah, okay. So one thing engineers have in common, we love solving problems. Yes, we Even do. engineers who don't work <laughs> in engineering anymore, you hear them speak and the first thing they say, I love problem solving. <laughs> yep. It's really fun. That's what drew us there in the first place. The challenge with sustainability is that it's a problem that can't be solved by purely technical solutions. Mm -hmm. So technical solutions play a really important role, Mm -hmm. but they're not sufficient alone. And that is an opportunity, but a challenge for engineers. Technical solutions, for example, play a really important role in climate change. But as we can see, there are political, there are economic, there are social challenges with that as well. So as engineers, what we're gonna have to do is work with other disciplines the critical thinking and the really systematic approach to problems that we learn in engineering is a really valuable tool in terms of how we engage with dis- different, different disciplines to, to solve these problems. So first I'll just give you an example. Mm-hmm. So as engineers, uh, you know, a traditional technical solution, often that's what we might call grey infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So we build something and that piece of technology fixes the problem. There's a few issues with this, sometimes that technology then creates a new problem of its own Mm -hmm. accord, but also sometimes there are alternative solutions. And I guess one example I talk about is the concept of green infrastructure. So a traditional grey infrastructure solution, for example, urbanisation is an issue around the world, but particularly in South East Queensland, there's large population growth, that puts pressure on the wastewater treatment plants. So the wastewater treatment plants, uh, you've got more people generating more input to the wastewater treatment plants, you need to upgrade them and build another piece of what's called grey infrastructure. Mm -hmm. But there are alternatives you can maintain the existing uh, wastewater treatment infrastructure, for example, and then create some additional green infrastructure, such as um, revegetating uh, along the stream beds and the rivers, which takes out just as much nutrients as the increased population put in. But it's got what's called co-benefits. So, for example, that what's called riparian vegetation, stuff along the edge of the river. So it also has uh, biodiversity benefits, carbon sequestration benefits, it's got Uh, recreational benefits, it it can stop erosion as well. So it has all these additional benefits. So you'd say well that's a great idea, why don't we do that? It's got more uncertainty and it's got more risk and you get into challenges around land ownership and whose land is it and so therefore who's responsible for maintaining it and that's what I mean as an example of these social, economic, political issues. So you've got a, a, a it's simpler to go with the traditional technical solution but if you can find a way to integrate, you know, our real engineering knowledge of that fundamental physical, chemical, biological, you know, hydrological processes and find these more creative solutions, then sometimes, well, well, that's what sustainability is going to look like. But in order to do that, you know, the engineer is going to have to come together with planners and uh, legislators and lawyers and ecologists and all this uh, different diversity of people.
1: And Kate, just more broadly, how would you define a wicked problem?
2: Okay, so a wicked problem is defined in various ways, but at the guts of it, the core issue is that in a wicked problem, it's not just that we need to work out what the solution is. There's actual fundamental disagreement over what the problem itself Mm. is. So some examples, uh, and what that means is it's often interconnected with a range of different problems. It's difficult to tell where the problem is, what's the difference between say the cause and the symptom and people have fundamentally different beliefs on not just on how to solve it but what the problem actually is. So think something like climate change, intricately connected to you know, a range of different problems, um, poverty, resource depletion, habitat destruction, uh, urbanisation, transport issues. There's a, it's connected to all these different problems. It's not possible to pull them apart and there's no one solution if we do this, it will be fixed. And what that means with a wicked problem is you have to iterate. You have to have a go, and you may then create a new problem, an unintended consequence. You go, oh, OK, now we'll tackle this one. And one of the features of this kind of problem, therefore, is nobody owns it. So it can't be solved in just, just by engineers. It can't be solved just by economists. It can't be solved just by ecologists or by social scientists. These people have to come together and and work on the problem together and keep, you know, iterating towards a, a better situation.
1: So Kate, we often have many students, particularly women, who tell us that they aren't quite sure what career path to take on, but that they know they want to make a difference to people and the planet. In this case, would you recommend a career in engineering to these students that are passionate about making a difference and why? Well, I'll tell you the two things I love most about engineering. The first thing
2: is that engineering is about problem solving, as I said. So when you study engineering, you don't just study the content, you really learn a systematic approach to problem solving. And frankly, there's a lot of problems in the world. If you want to make a difference, you can start with a good problem solving approach. The second reason I love engineering is it is a discipline where there's room for everybody. You know, people have pictures in their head of what does an engineer look like? Oh, it's a person who builds a bridge. Oh, it's a person who just loves fiddling around with electronics. And both of those things are true. But there is room for whatever your particular strengths and interests are if you're a very mathematical person if you're a person who loves coding if you're a person who loves building if you're a person who loves working with different people to come together to solve a problem if you're a creative person if you're a person who likes communicating complex messages there's so much room for you 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 do your engineering degree and in whether that's in electrical mechanical chemical or civil engineering or, or one of the disciplines that's between those such as uh, environmental like amy so you do that original discipline and then your particular strength your particular passions your particular interests, you then combine with your degree and you take that so you become if you're a maths person you become the modeler who's solving problems if you, if you like building and, and, and constructing, then maybe you're the mechatronics person who's designing the robots that solve problems. If you love getting a picture of the world and solving problems, maybe you become a control engineer who's really working out how do we automate these systems. Maybe you design you know sustainable products in the circular economy. Maybe you're working there as a manager who's really working out how do we get this team together to solve these problems. You're designing different ways to communicate. So there's room in engineering for whatever it
1: is that you like doing, uh, in your career, so absolutely, I'd recommend it. Are there any exciting research going on in the School of Chemical Engineering towards development and sustainability?
2: Yeah, there's lots of work in the School of Chemical Engineering. Uh, so there's a lot of interest in the circular economy around plastics in particular, you know that you know plas- plastic pollution is another wicked problem. It's one of these complex interconnected, there's no one single solution, you have to try a few things. And so there's a lot of work going on in that area, both in terms of developing more renewable polliners, Uh, circular economy, but also looking at the problem from the bigger perspective. There's people working on energy, uh, looking at renewable energy and and different technology associated with those. There's uh, also uh, uh, work in the area of resource recovery. So I spoke before about a wastewater treatment plant. That's really an old-fashioned term. What, What goes into a wastewater treatment plant? Water and nutrients, right? Two really valuable commodities, and there's energy in there as well. So you know that that real shift to that concept that uh, it's not wastewater; it's resources to be recovered.
0: Um, So you've written a few articles about combining career and family. What are your thoughts on this topic for engineers?
2: Firstly, there's an elephant in the room here. This is a really tricky (laughs) conversation to have. Yeah. And so it goes like this: if you have a a woman in engineering where there aren't many women in engineering, it's very tempting to ask, you know, how do you, you know, do you have a family? Mm And you don't ask men that same question. So that's a real problem if you ask them. But it's also a problem if you don't ask them because it, it is something that people want to hear about. So I like to get that out on the table. I call it the mother of all conflicts. And from what I've learned in Wicked Problems, what I've learned is when you've got something that's called contested, right, That that, that, that that's complex, that people disagree mm-hmm. about, What's the first step in addressing that problem is actually getting all the opinions out on the table. So that's why Mm -hmm. I started with that answer. Following on from that, I think we should be asking this question of more men. You know, how do you manage your family and your career? To ignore the question is problematic because uh, having family is important to many people and it takes uh, a lot of intellectual and creative effort. And so that's, I guess, why you've raised the question and why I think it's important to talk about. There are lots of demands on people in all careers and finding that balance between the work demands and the family demands is personal because people have different priorities at work and people have different priorities at, at home. What I think we need to do as a profession is have the conversation and have the conversation with men and women and have it openly and talk about all the different ways that we can combine careers and family and they're okay. It's okay to take time off work and spend time with your family and come back. It's okay not to take time off work and have a family and keep working. It's okay not to have a family. It's okay to share it, to have, to work part-time. Uh, if you're a mum, it's okay to work part-time if you're dad. It's okay to work part-time if you're both. And I think we need to have more conversations. And I think what people are really after is they want pictures of what does it look like. Mm -hmm. And I've actually run a few events at UQ called Who's Left Holding the Engineer's Baby? And I've brought in men and women from a number of different engineering disciplines who've run their work and family balance in different ways. And that's been really useful for people to see. So let's have this conversation more with more men and more women uh, and find solutions. And I'd just also like to add, you know, we talk a lot about, you hear the term work-life balance. And I don't think that's a helpful term and i'll tell you three reasons why it's not a helpful term okay firstly it um, can disguise things because you're going to have different priorities at work and home than i do and so if i say well i have work-life balance i eat dinner with my family every sunday night that's my definition of work-life balance your definition of work-life balance might be that you get to choir two nights a week (laughs) your definition of work-life balance might be that you can coach your kids soccer team so we've all got different definitions It can be tempting particularly for senior people to say well I have work-life balance you know, what's your problem? So I said there were three issues. The second issue is that all of us are balancing lots of different dimensions of work and life at the same time. You know, how do I get my exercise, how do I see my friends, how do I see my family and maybe different competing parts of my family, you know, and do the things that I love to do and get my work done and at work I have a whole lot of competing demands. You know, I've got this due, but this is due next week, and which is more important, and then there's a person who needs hand. So we're constantly balancing work and life all the time. It's just like work, life, see-saw. <laughs> That's just That's just not what we're doing. And the final reason is I think what's more useful to talk about is work a work-life synergies and work-life conflict. When people say work-life balance, I think what they're often talking about, the reason the topic comes up is because people have a conflict. There are demands from one part of their life that are making it stressful or difficult, that that are causing them problems in in other parts, right? And that's a very real issue. Your students, you've experienced this, for example, study life. But what we don't talk about enough are work-life synergies, and actually synergies within life and at work and outside of work. So what I mean by this is, what are the things that give you energy, that excite you, that inspire you, that motivate you, and how do we get more of these at work and more of these at home. Because what often happens is when the pressure comes on, when the assignments are due, when there's a big deadline at work, the first thing we do is we cancel something that gives us energy, okay? Mm. We stop going to the pool, we stop cooking the dinner we love, we cancel the, the, the time we were gonna see the play. That's not the solution. We need under those times of pressure to really make time for the things that give us energy. So maybe we need a separate podcast
1: here on on
2: on work-life balance and work-life conflict and work-life
1: synergies. So thanks for joining us today, Kate. And don't forget to subscribe or follow this podcast to stay up to date with our current episodes as they are released for season two. Thanks for listening.